looking at a problem through a different lens and arriving at a solution that another individual didn't see uh, as part of an overall inclusive team is a performance advantage. And so oftentimes this isn't about normalizing or neutralizing a trait to allow that individual to function in the workplace. It's about pulling that through so it becomes an advantage and a performance advantage specifically in the work to be done. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. With 9 million job openings and a little over 6 million job seekers, U.S. employers continue to face a significant gap finding the workers, much less skilled workers, to to staff their firms. As we've talked about it here before, this has led many employers to rethink their own biases in how and who they recruit. Among those groups who have traditionally not been the target for recruitment efforts are neurodiverse people, whether it is with employees who have dyslexia, attention deficit disorder, autism spectrum disorder, or any of a number of other neurological differences, many employers are finding that people who happen to have neurological differences are a great resource for a variety of jobs. Joining me today to discuss employing a neurodiverse workforce is David Aspinall. David is the CEO of Autocon US, where he executes Autocon's mission to create job opportunities for autistic professionals in the technology space. Prior to joining Autocon, David was an executive in the telecommunications and private equity spaces. Welcome to Good Morning HR, David. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. So first full disclosure here, I met David last fall when I chaired the Fort Worth Chamber of Commerce's Small Business of the Year Committee. I didn't know about David or Otacon before that, and I'll admit that I was pretty blown away, and I was really excited to get him on the podcast after all the announcements were made about uh, the winners, including Otacon was one of the winners that uh, last year. So, David, will you describe Otacon's unique value proposition to the market? Absolutely, Mike. Uh, you covered one of the main drivers and why Otacon exists, and that is that within our community, and specifically within the autistic community, there is an 85% underemployment rate. And so Otacon is a business, and we're very proudly a business. We support philanthropic efforts, we support legislative efforts, but essentially we are a group of business operators that have come together to use the principles of business to help defeat that statistic, specifically that 85% of unemployment within the community. And that's a that's a big number. Uh, I you know, and I have uh I have a friend who's uh on the autism spectrum. Uh, I've got another friend with two kids on uh, two sons on that that spectrum, and I've got a nephew who's on that spectrum who's a teenager. And I'm sure I was guilty 
20 years ago, 15 years ago, or maybe last week of thinking, well, you know, they're going to be pushing a broom someplace that this is, you know, this is going to be, you know, there's, they're not, they'll never fit into the, the corporate scene. And I think what's really important to point out here is, like you said, Otacon is a for-profit business. And, and that demonstrates that, you know, there's a sol- there are solid business reasons here to consider this workforce uh, and, you know, find ways that people's, I guess, their, their, their skills and abilities can help a, a company execute its mission uh, without it being a charity effort. Yes, 100%. Uh, and part of the explanation to that lies in this word underemployment. And so we all know what unemployment is. Uh, underemployment in this definition uh, takes really two forms. The first is an individual that is doing a role that is not commensurate with either the skill or experience they have for some reason. And the second is the individual that has gone from job to job to job and has never been able to grow roots in a particular organization for whatever the reason. That 85% is a tremendously high number. And what really doesn't make sense is that if the individual is supported correctly, if an individual is given the opportunity to shine, then what we observe as autistic traits and maybe the reason that is contributing to the underemployment, the fact that the individual is struggling to navigate the uh, interview process or the recruitment process, if we can support that individual appropriately, what we find is we can pull through an autistic trait that may have precluded the individual from achieving the role that they're qualified for. And actually it can become a performance advantage within that role. And so that very much supports uh, the notion that we're a for-profit. You know, our business success is, is inextricably linked to the mission. We will solve for the mission when we're successful in the business. And what is the business model for Otacon then? You're, you're not a recruiting firm. You're more like a PEO. Is that right? We actually want to be seen as a talent source. So we want to be seen as the employer's conduit into uh, these communities. And so we are incredibly flexible. We will work with an employer in the modality that they deem most appropriate for their technology projects. So that could be an Otacon technologist joining that organization uh, for a period of time to augment existing capacity and capability. It might be an individual that works with us for a period of time and then transitions into that organization under the right circumstances, or it might be project work. So. Uh, differentiated from a PEO, um, we're more a talent source and we want to be seen as a talent source to our client organizations. In fact, there are a number of our really high profile uh, blue chip US based clients that consider us and have actually told us in case studies that we're one of the best sources of talent that they have. Not the best source of talent from uh, a, a, a particular community, the best source of talent full stop. That's interesting. So I, I should have probably said this earlier, but 
for my listeners, as we talk about people who happen to be neurodiverse, I'm probably going to use some language that's not the most cutting edge, socially acceptable terminology, which I know will shock my listeners because they've listened to me hatchet so many different things over the last couple of years. But I just ask for a little grace and know that it's a mistake of the head, not the heart. But that kind of takes me to another concern that I think a lot of employers would have. Um, well, I've heard it expressed is, okay, so if we, if we bring this neurodiverse population in, my employees are, you know, the rest of my employees are going to be uncomfortable or they're going to be walking on eggshells. They, you know, they're not going to know how to, you know, deal with whatever circumstances might come up. And I I think we always come up with, uh, you know, in our heads, the worst case scenarios and, and try to plan for those. But um, what what do you say to employers when they first start talking about hiring somebody who's going to present very differently, maybe in the workplace than the uh, than the rest of their workforce? There's only there's really only one thing that's worse than the fear of offending, and that is inaction. So we exist to prevent the inaction, and the way in which we do that is we approach the client partner with a a programmatic uh, effort in mind. So when a client partner starts working with us, we have resources that will help them understand this community and help them understand how best to engage with our team. And so every single client that we work with has uh, a a, a training program of understanding autism in the workplace and understanding neurodiversity in the workplace. So what we find is we can grow the culture and understanding of that organization through their engagement with our program. And so they, you've got training that, so whoever's going to be working alongside this person um, would, would know kind of what to expect. What's, um, Maybe, you know, how to how to phrase things in a way that, you know, aren't unintentionally offensive, uh, things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, we we do a full program of understanding the language, understanding how best to engage with that individual, uh, because it's a very indiv- individualistic uh, uh, situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, and we uh, we go we take our clients through um, a, a program of making sure that they get the most out of these individuals within the workplace. And what's really remarkable about that is it sounds like a heavy lift. It sounds like wait. That means you're more difficult to work with than, let's just say, another talent source that doesn't have this mission. And it nothing could be further from the truth, because what we find is that when we work with organizations and they're very intentional about this, then the, the culture growth that exists within that organization and the sense of inclusion and the diversity of thinking that can now come from that subject matter team just increases. And in fact, what is even more remarkable is more often than not, when we talk about tactics, about how to organize in this team and how best to get the most out of these individuals that are working collectively as a team, oftentimes the advice that we're giving is just good business. It's not anything that is extraordinary. It's things like, let's have an agenda for this meeting. And it's things like that if there is action within this meeting, let's follow up with written 
email in addition to just the verbal instruction. And so what organizations report to us is that actually engaging within this program isn't an incrementally heavier lift. It's just good business. And, you know, most, if not all, neurodiverse conditions are covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act. And I think a lot of employers just in general with the ADA don't do enough to drive home to especially as supervisors, but also peers that um, this is something this person's dealing with. It's something, you know, but they've learned to manage in a certain, and all we've got to do is make sure we create the environment where they can be successful. And, and I like what you said, and I want to dive into it a little bit more, uh, you, you know, how individualistic it is, uh, you know, from, from one person to the other. Can you talk a little bit about how you define that and then what it might look like for an employer dealing with a neurodiverse uh, employee to, you know, customize uh, how they accommodate or, you know, create the work environment that's successful for that person? Yeah, it, the, the approach is one that is very experiential in nature. And so let me let me define what I mean by that. The two biggest elements of differences between working with Otacon and working with another talent provider that is a ger general talent source is that we have developed um, a very defined autism-friendly recruitment process. And so what we found is that individuals that have had a hard time in recruitment processes um, may suffer a little bit from anxiety um, and, and repeated disappointment of having been in uh, the process of applying for a job to the point where we don't even call it an interview. Uh, we call it a recruitment process. And so that's one element of what we do differently. Uh, is that we've defined an autism-friendly recruitment process. The other element of what we do differently is in our job coaching. And the job coaches are the individuals that ensure that, 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 that this program, whether it be a team of people or whether it be an individual joining a client team, uh, is onboarded and accepted uh, in a programmatic way. So the approach to the autism in the workplace training and then in getting to know that individual and what that individual's working traits are uh, to the point of understanding how that team can um, help welcome that individual within into that workplace. Both of these elements are linked. So the start of the job coaching is at the end of the re autism friendly recruitment process. Within the recruitment process, we know hard skills, we know soft skills, we know uh, the, the um, experience that that individual has had. Our job coaches are involved in the recruitment process. And it's those soft skills and knowing how that individual shows up in the workplace, which enables the job coaching. And let's take a quick break Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on research credits. Then select episode 135 and enter the keyword neuro. That's N-E-U-R-O. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. 
And now back to my conversation with David Aspinall. So let's talk about the recruitment process then, because what do you think most employers recruitment process does to dissuade or just, you know, make nearly impossible uh, neurodiverse applicants from applying? What are things that you see out there that are just don't make sense from from the point of view of getting that, you know, the full diversity of the available workforce? The thing that shows up the most is a uh, an old fashioned approach to an interview whereby the individual is put on the spot. Uh, and like things like the cognitive profile of that individual is irrelevant to the work to be done. You know, we're very, very, we've, we've very deliberate in understanding someone's cognitive strengths, some of their cognitive profile to best understand the workplace in which they would excel in. And the thing that shows up the most is like the people being tasked with verbal reasoning as though they're going to be an executive or a salesperson when the opening is for a software engineer or a software developer or a data uh, analyst uh, we find and when we when we talk with our uh, applicants we find that some of the experiences are it's incongruent with the role to be done the way in which they have found that interview process and specifically the the trick questions trying to catch someone out um, verbal reasoning in a data world that just isn't needed well and that's you know the the playing gotcha during an a, 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 an interview. I've begged employers to stop doing that with you know with applicants who are you know in, in the normative range uh, for years. But just it's I think many hiring managers are much too clever for their own good, and um, what they're really looking for is somebody like them rather than somebody who's going to really get this job done. And um, so, what about? Is there anything different that an employer should consider in either how they word their job postings or what the actual, you know, if it's an online system, what the actual online application process ought to look like? I just think uh, employers should, should be, anytime they can be less abstract in their approach, more direct, uh, they will speak to our community in particular. And we have an element of, um, gamification, which is kind of arrived at through uh, a series of coding challenges. If you think about the kind of talent that we work with, uh, software development uh, and data analytics, QA and uh, AI uh, type talent sets, uh, we arrive at that individual's capability in a very factual way. Uh, and, and it's, and it's, you know, it, it it doesn't it's no, there's nothing abstract about it you know we're not asking for that individual to be anything other than specific about uh, their history and their capability so you're measuring competencies uh, which is, should be what again what I'm constantly trying to drive employers when I'm doing my consulting with them about their employee selection process uh, to do if we're really focusing on competencies, and this may be my own ignorance here, but do you find that when we look for things like, especially degrees, things like that, that 
uh, in the population you're working with, they're less likely to have degrees than uh, than the rest of the people in the technology fields, but maybe they've got the competencies, maybe even certifications, but not those degrees. Do are those issues out there? Uh, is that or is that just a bias on my part, thinking that would be a real challenge for for somebody to complete a a four year degree? Uh, you know, where they've got to take a lot of stuff that's outside of their interest and invite and, and operate in, in a you know a very unorderly uh, you know in, you know uh, environment in college. We see examples of both things. We see examples of individuals that have gone off into higher education and they have lost the structure that previously they had in their lives, which has led them to not be successful in the pursuit of that degree. We've also seen in with, and and I don't have the statistics for this. This is kind of anecdote. Uh, we also see individuals that flourish in that higher education environment because the appropriate structure for that individual is available to them. And so we see a real mix. Uh, we see individuals that have come to us with a degree and their the structure that they had within their higher education is now dropped off as they've gone into working age and employment age and into becoming a candidate for employment. And they've struggled with that. But then we've also seen people that haven't been able to complete a degree but have an amazing cognitive strengths uh, that use kind of uh, traditional higher education alternatives uh, to help supplement their learning. If they come through, and and I always want, you know, that 15-year college degree, uh, 15-year-old college degree is probably not relevant in the technology space today anyway. I, you know, what I want to see is what have you done lately? What are your current competencies? Those kinds of things. Um, and you know, I think there's still some sentiment out there, especially from folks who are, uh, you know, have, you know, are degreed and did go through that experience that, you know, there's some, some, some intangible benefit that you get from that four-year experience and all of that. But I think that's probably overrated relative to just the value of doing anything for four years. I mean, you know, uh, you know, living life from 18 to 22 is a, uh, uh, a big time of change for a lot of folks. And uh, I think you know, the, I'm happy to see fewer and fewer cr credentials being required for all kinds of jobs and uh, focusing more on, you know, more recent and immediate competencies that we need for somebody to be successful. Yeah. And we would, we very clearly um, ask and, and, and through the process, understand what those competencies are. Uh, you know, we, we put a lot more weight in how someone does in some of our on the job challenges, which, you know, our community really responds to these challenges. They seem to like them. Um, but then we don't rely solely on those results because the job coaches are part and the delivery managers are a part of the recruitment process. So we're able to have those chats around the results of the coding challenge or around how that individual did in their engineering degree and really understand that individual and what they would be good at in the workplaces that we represent with our clients. So 
I mean, you're dealing with a specific, you know, uh, niche here, you know, people on the, the autism spectrum who are in technology. But if I'm an employer and I'm looking and I want to just open up my uh, recruiting and make sh- making sure that I'm touching this community, how do I get my jobs in front of that? I mean, you know, are they just as likely to be on Indeed as everybody else? Or are there other places I should go look to uh, to attract that kind of talent? It's It's a difficult question for me to answer. And here's why that's the case. We're such a known entity in this space mm. that we tend to attract this talent. And so most of the talent that we deal with have come to us inbound and are looking for our help. I will say that I don't see, and I don't have the data to say that we don't have our community represented on job boards. So to me, what that means is that the employer needs to be more inclusive in the language that they're using on that job board and specifically in the way that they're they're looking at the um, the, the, the results from posting on that job board. And so, uh, for, for us, it's, it's difficult because we're, we're known in the, we're known in the community. And so we get a lot of inbound. One of the concerns, uh, I've had with a lot of modern recruiting technology, especially as we're all remote, uh, you know, and we're doing a lot more zoom interviews is the, individuals doing the interview, whether it's a panel or, you know, the hiring manager or HR, reading someone's body language, their eye contact, uh, making decisions about someone's ability to do a job based on, like you said, those things that are not directly related to competencies. Um, And I don't think we've done a very good job of training, training hiring managers to to pay, you know, to understand that what you're seeing may be how this person presents, but it may not affect at all how they do the job. One one hundred percent. The 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 example that we use is the the eye contact and the firm handshake. I mean, the eye contact and the firm handshake is one hundred percent irrelevant to the work that our technologists do. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a bias, um, and it's an expectation of, uh, a former way of recruiting and interviewing that is irrelevant in the tech, tech space today. So once we have, let's say, um, we've been fortunate enough to attract this qualified person, they, they made it through our interview process and we've selected them and, and we've onboarded them. Is there anything special you feel like we should be doing as an employer to get somebody, to get them ready for our environment and, and to make sure our environment's ready for them? You mentioned some of the, the custom stuff, individual, but you know, if I, if I was hiring somebody and it was outside of your scope, what kind of things would an employer want to think about and prepare for? Yeah, that starts with understanding the environment today. So rather than preparing for that at the point of hire, what we find companies that are really good at this, what they're looking for, what they're looking at is this as a 
retention and churn prevention activity. And they're looking towards true belonging within the workplace and understanding their existing employees because it would be mathematically really, really unusual if they didn't have individuals that already worked for them that weren't a part of this community. So understanding what those individuals need in an employer is key. And oftentimes we will work with a new client partner and we'll say they're not ready. They're not ready for us because of the environment that we will be hiring into. So it's absolutely key that organizations have a good understanding of the environment that they are today and how that is uh, affecting their existing employees and therefore what it is they're recruiting into. Um, and so we've we've stopped a number of processes in the, because of that. Uh, and we will actually now work with employers to fully understand their environment. We have uh, an assessment tool uh, which we uh, measure five different elements of what it means to be an employee within that company and help them suggest pathways to neuroinclusion uh, and becoming a more uh, a destination employer for the neurodiverse. Interesting. So just to wrap up, so they're on board. Are, do we, assuming our, our expectations are, are sane and productive to a work environment in general, are there different expectations around conduct or performance? Do we need, you know, are there exceptions or accommodations that we need to be able to make for someone uh, who may respond to a, an unexpected situation differently than other employees or things like that? Not conduct. Uh, we, we, we have the same expectations on conduct. Communication uh, and expectations around communication uh, can differ. Uh, but again, it's all about understanding that individual and understanding what that individual brings to that team and the diversity of thought and therefore the capability that exists within that team um, going forward. Uh, but f matters of conduct, we uh, w there's, there's no difference. And the same for performance too? And performance, what we find actually is oftentimes the autistic trait that has precluded the individual from achieving the role that they're qualified for supported appropriately through job coaching actually turns into a performance advantage. And we see time and again, traits from individuals, things like the ability to spot patterns in large amounts of data, uh, things like uh, repetitive tasks, not depleting energy, and really key, looking at a problem through a different lens and arriving at a solution that another individual didn't see uh, as part of an overall inclusive team is a performance advantage. And so oftentimes this isn't about normalizing or neutralizing a trait to allow that individual to function in the workplace. 
it's about pulling that through so it becomes an advantage and a performance advantage specifically in the work to be done. That's perfect. Well, that's all the time we have, but I sure appreciate you joining me, David. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.